Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to this episode of the Catalyst Podcast, Farm for Thought. Dan Wegmuller is a fourth-generation dairy farmer in Greene County, Wisconsin. In 2017, Dan recognized an impending crisis facing traditional farming, where Wisconsin would lead the nation in farm bankruptcies and farmer depression and suicide rates would exceed that of military combat veterans. The Wegmuller farm was not immune to the agricultural crisis. And in 2018, Dan and Ashley opened the Dairy Farm Stay, the very first farm stay on an active dairy farm in Greene County. Since then, the farm has welcomed national as well as international guests and has since diversified into equestrian activities, including horseback experiences and guided trail rides. Says Dan, opening our doors has done two things. First, it has brought in a revenue stream we desperately needed to keep the farm going. Second, Connecting with urban visitors has made farming fun again. I invited Dan to talk with me because the parallels between the medical industry and farming and ag are so close. In fact, a lot of Dan's visitors to the dairy farm stay are doctors and nurses from urban settings. And the stories that he hears from them echo the plight and the depression that farmers can feel. So listen to this episode. It's a treat. You're going to resonate with so much of Dan's story. And we all deserve to connect with other humans and animals the way that Dan is modeling for us. This is such a special episode of the Catalyst Podcast. I have my dear friend, Dan Wegmuller here. And you might wonder, why is she interviewing a dairy farmer? Well, besides being a dear friend, and we've known each other for over a decade, his industry is eerily parallel to medicine. And this is a very important podcast interview because you're going to understand what it's like to be in the life as a dairy farmer and what it is to reinvent yourself and your career. And in the path, he's showing other farmers and the ag culture how they can envision a new future that hopefully we'll have less burnout. So thank you, Dan, for coming. Thank you so much for having me on, Dr. Laura. It's a pleasure as always. And uh, you know what? This is a great, this is a great way to start the week. It is. It's so awesome. If you don't mind, I'm going to actually read what you had written to me because I think it so encapsulates and frames our conversation in the next couple of minutes. When I asked you, you know, what would catalyze a transformation, you, you wrote so eloquently, I believe that the trajectory of agriculture is identical to the trajectory of medicine. As farmers, we are pushed relentlessly to achieve more productivity, milk more cows, farm more acres, more yield, bigger is better. In the process as farmers, we've completely lost track of who we were supposed to be, caretakers. We have lost track of the individuality of the animals we care for, as well as the sacredness of our relationship with the land and environment. We've lost our connection with the very people we ought to be aligned with, consumers. This disconnect breeds misinformation and downright resentment. We need to reevaluate what it means to be a farmer, and the very first step is reestablishing our connection with ourselves. Boom! 
That's amazing. Do you want to unpack that a bit? I mean, there's so much good stuff there. Yeah, I'd love to. So first of all, to quantify that in my lifetime, you know, I remember back when I was in grade school, which, you know, for all intents and purposes was not that far away. We're talking 25 years. So statistically speaking, one generation, right? 25 years ago, we were considered a large farm. In fact, we were considered unusually large for the time. We milked 50 to 60 dairy cows, uh, farmed about 200, 250 acres. 25 years later, so in this day, we are considered an outlier just because nobody farms like this anymore. The average size dairy in Wisconsin is over 200 cows. The average farmer, I mean, is, is farming thousands of acres. Uh, and it's exactly, exactly what I said. I mean, we are pushed to produce more. I would say it's endemic in the industry to the point of almost, almost being brainwashed. And so in the last five years, especially, you know, one of the biggest struggles that I've had was pivoting our farm to uh, take on a new direction, a new role, a new purpose without buying into that bigger is better mentality. You know, you're talking about a lot of things that uh, absolutely exist in the ag industry, burnout, lack mm-hmm. of creativity, lack of individuality, lack of a personal connection with uh, who, we, uh, who we really need to be. And so in 2017, you know, I recognized not only the need to change from an industry standpoint, but also from a, from a personal standpoint as well. And the thing that I was not prepared for was how little support there is in the ag industry for farmers that actually want to go back and reevaluate what is our purpose? You know, what is, what is my wow. individuality? Uh, I was told over and over again that, uh, you know, in our case, we were diversifying into ag tourism, agritourism, Mm -hmm. which is the simple act of inviting people out to the farm and showing them how food is produced. I mean, come on, like this is not, yeah, or it's, this is, this is not like military secrets here. Come on. Right. Right. Have that connection. Um, And I was literally told by ag loan officers, commercial loan officers, people that worked for the USDA Department of Agriculture. So on the federal level, all the way down to local grassroots, they said, yeah, you're going to have better luck borrowing money, debt consolidation. You're going to have better luck finding resources to milk 10,000 cows than you are to go out and reach your consumer base, which to me is nuts. I mean, that in and of itself tells you what you need to know about what's wrong with the way we approach food production in this country. Wow. Wow. You know, and right there, that is so spot on with medicine. It, same, same timeline, even 25 years ago, there were a lot more private practices. They were very aligned with their values and anchored down into the why they're doing medicine. And then they're getting bought out. And now it's bigger hospitals and they're just large machines that you're a tiny little number and they don't really care. They just want you to have a lot of patients and see them really quickly and get the numbers in. And it's so sad that both of our industries have really lost their way. And both industries, you're viewed as an outlier and suspicious if you try to actually just go back to the roots of why you're doing what you're doing. And so I love that you're brave that you did this. And I've watched you personally in the community from day one and just been so excited that you and I both on these parallel paths of just doing something different and new and I just want you to talk about the Wegmuller Dairy Farm and how that has gone for you. The agritourism is amazing. I mean, the pictures you share, the care you give the animals and how you share this emotion with the visitors. Talk to me a little bit, a little bit about what you love about that. Yeah. So that was, uh, you talk about catalysts, you talk about turning points, you know, you talk about your eureka moment, however you want to define it. 
this started out as nothing more than an idea and just a little bit of a backstory to put this into context. So I am fourth generation on my family's heritage, Wisconsin dairy farm. We are quintessential. We are as Wisconsin dairy farm as you can get. If you're picturing a red barn with cows out on grass and, you know, farmer tending to his livestock, I mean, that's, that's us, right? I mean, they, they make cartoons and uh, <laughs> they, they make images about this that'll stand the test of time. And so the last 10 years, we've made more changes on the farm than easily, I would say, the last generation and a half or even two generations. Where it started was uh, the sudden loss of my parents. My dad and I worked very closely together. Uh, he passed away very suddenly in 2014. There was no estate planning, no forward. Like we did not talk about the farm transfer. We did not talk about asset transfer buy-in. So when my dad passed away, it was, um, I mean, it was anybody's wow. guess. Every acre of land had a mortgage attached to it. Uh, every piece of machinery had debt attached to it. Um, and it wasn't anything that my dad had done wrong. It's just the typical story with agriculture where farmers are land rich and cash poor. Um, mm -hmm. So it's nothing necessarily new. Uh, my wife, Ashley, and I made plans. Put to, we, we figured out, waited, waited through the mess, figured out the process. And in 2016, in July of 2016, Ashley and I signed papers and officially became the fourth generation owners of, uh, of my family's multi-heritage dairy farm, multi-generational dairy farm. We set up, as far as, what I, as far as I'm concerned, it's a success story in an estate transfer. We bought out my mom. She would have been taken care of for the rest of her life. Uh, we set up an inheritance payment for my siblings, even though they had all left the farm at age 18 uh, with no intention of returning. Uh, but most importantly, it kept the farm intact. Uh, it didn't divide ownership. It kept the farm under one autonomous owner so that we could make day-to-day -day decisions and uh, you know pivot as needed. Unfortunately, the, we never really got to see it to the fruition that it deserved. We signed papers on the farm in July of 2016. By February of 2017, my mom was gone. She, had, she was diagnosed with a um, bacterial meningitis infection. She spent five days in ICU and never woke up. So it was very, very sudden. The beginning of 2017 was absolutely a turning point. So two things kind of happened at the same time. It was the sudden loss of my parents, but also recognizing that as a small, traditional, you know, very, very traditional Wisconsin dairy farm, our days were numbered. Uh, we weren't. Uh, we were. We were operating below the cost of production, meaning it cost us more to produce a gallon of milk than what we were being paid. For that same wow. gallon of milk. Um, and so in early 2017, we were cleaning out my parents' house, uh, 40 years worth of memories. And as far as I was concerned, the writing was on the wall for small farms. 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020, and even beyond, Wisconsin has led the industry in farm bankruptcies. Wisconsin has led the industry in farmers exiting the industry. And farmer depression is a quantifiable quantifiable thing in ag right now, farmer suicide is higher than that of military combat veteran suicide. Oh, wow. So we lived through that. We went, we faced that in 2018. I had a lot of bad days. Um, I had a lot of things planned out that uh, weren't necessarily good, but uh, sort of the turning point was in early 2017 at the height of the, at the very beginning of the ag crisis, what I saw was an opportunity to do something that farms just simply aren't doing anymore. And that is, instead of reaching vertically, 
reach horizontally and meet, you know, the people that we're supposed to be serving in the first place. Interestingly enough, a lot of other farmers, veterinarians, people that worked in the ag industry, uh, didn't, didn't think it would work. They laughed at the idea, said, nobody's going to pay money to visit a dairy farm. We hosted our very first group in September of 2018. Um, so now we're into 2023. We're into our sixth season wow. of hosting. Uh, and I will say in a nutshell, it's done two things for us. It's uh, brought in a revenue stream that we desperately needed to keep the farm going, but it's also made farming fun again. And what I recognized early on is that you don't have to go very far at all. And people have no connection to our food supply. People have no idea what a cow looks like or the process that goes into milking or crop production or um, you know, any, any one of a number of like animal care, animal care issues. So a perfect way to describe what we're doing sort of set against the backdrop of what's happening in agriculture at large is during the pandemic, during COVID, farmers were euthanizing market weight livestock. Farmers were dumping milk down the drain while simultaneously there were shortages in grocery stores, right? Wow. And so one of the number one questions that we get now from groups coming out of Chicago and urban markets are, why is it that farmers were euthanizing market weight livestock? Why is it that farmers were dumping milk down the drain while simultaneously there were, um, there were shortages in the grocery store? And it has everything do. It has everything to do with the industrialization and centralization of our nation's food supply. By the year 2040, which is not that far away at all, more than 75% of ag output in the United States will be controlled by less than 5% of farms. And what that means, what that means is summarized in a, a series of videos that the pork industry released during the pandemic. Uh, partnered with uh, Business Insider. And interestingly enough, the pork industry released this series of videos thinking that it would be, you know, a good thing to help people understand. And it, it ended up having the opposite effect. But uh, what they were talking about was, okay, clearly in agriculture, we need more automation. Clearly we need more. Like computers can't get COVID uh, is what the, what the calling phrase was at that time. And so what they were talking about implementing on modern day pig farms where you have hundreds of thousands of pigs in one location. What they were talking about implementing was from conception to birth, raised to maturity, to slaughter, processing, packaging, and distribution, the entire life cycle of a pig will be completely automated with absolutely no human interaction whatsoever. Uh, and interestingly enough, Cargill released a series of videos on the poultry industry, but uh, they have these little Mars rovers type uh, robots going out going up to individual birds, checking body temperature, checking health, you know, checking growth rates. Whoa. And of course, these are tied to algorithms that absolutely decide who lives and who dies. And so, you know, you think about that, you'd stand back and look at that for what it is. And if that's not dystopian, I don't know what is. Yeah, that, that is shocking when you paint that picture of a future. And this is, again, this opportunity of yes and, right? Like there isn't black and white where we can't have any technology and it's only, right? It's the yes and, like we have to invite it on our terms. And again, the parallels are eerie in medicine. You know, you had said earlier in another conversation, animals are not commodities, right? And people are not commodities. And yet US and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical ads on TV. 
um, because they're pit, they're pitting, you know, these all our patients and people thinking that, you know, they it's almost like, you know, we are paid as physicians in a conventional system based on these commodities. And it's so disingenuous. And yet we also lag behind a lot of industries in the ease of technology. Um, look at the airline industry. It's great. You can check yourself in. You can check your bags. I mean, there's some great things to have technology work for you but not at the expense of true connection. Like you said, when you're not looking at the animals and you care deeply for the animals. And I, I just love watching everything you put on Instagram and Facebook, because it's obvious that you are truly out of a children's book. You are really that farmer that loves the animals, that talks to the animals, that gives them names. And that's what we need in this world is, is not more robots taking care of animals. So what do you think is going to be the impetus? Would you like to see more traditional family farms stay and, and do what you're doing? Do you think agritourism is something that they should consider? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things on that note. Um, I get accused of being an overgrown kid all the time. So yeah, you read <laughs> me like a book. <laughs> um, so technologically, we've reached a point in ag where technology is no longer, it's no longer supporting management. It's taken over management. You know, modern day dairy farms where cows are milked robotically, literally robots decide who lives and who dies and a quantifiable percentage of the dairy herd actually gets called out, sent to slaughter, sent to market simply because they don't conform to the robot. Um, and so technology is no longer supplementing good management. It's taken over. And, wow. you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's, if that's not dystopian, I don't know what is. But, you know, along those lines, the statistic, the statistic that deserves to be shouted from the mountaintops is by the year 2040, 75% of ag output will be controlled by less than 5% of farms. What that also indicates is that there's a tremendous opportunity for smaller scale. I would say instead of reaching vertically, reaching horizontally, but smaller scale farms establishing more of a direct to consumer relationship. What the pandemic should have taught us was that we need investment in local infrastructure, local supply chains, and local food production. Unfortunately, we don't learn from our mistakes. We're doing exactly the opposite. What our theory is with this farm, with what we're doing, what we're demonstrating is that people will drive two to three hours just to have an authentic experience, an experience that they could certainly have closer to home, whether we're talking Chicago, Madison, Milwaukee, or even you know as far away as international, international places as well. But what we're demonstrating is that people are willing to drive, put the, put the time and the effort in. And this represents an opportunity. What we're learning on our farm, what we're learning with this experience is that these lessons deserve to be applied to a much larger scale. Um, yeah, you know, in the grand scheme, we're, we're a 50 head dairy herd on 350 acres in South Central Wisconsin. In the, uh, you know, the grand scheme of things, we don't, we don't matter much at all. However, if you start applying what we're learning and what we're demonstrating here, suddenly you've got 10 50 cow herds. Suddenly you've got 150 cow herds. Suddenly you have a thousand or more or what I would like to say is, you know, a small farm movement within the industry uh, that pushes back against that industrialization, against that centralization that, honestly, it's made agriculture unobtainable to people within the industry. It's impossible to get started in the ag industry anymore unless you have outside funding and outside support. Uh, but it's also made food production inaccessible to the very people that deserve it the most, and that is the consumer. Wow. Wow. So much stuff there you just said that relates 
I especially love the quote where you said people will drive three hours to have an authentic experience right there. That drives everything, authenticity and integrity and just that congruence of your values. And I say this a lot to the Catalyst mentees that I mentor on how to deliver an affordable, you know, functional medicine membership model. That's what I do here in Monroe in rural Wisconsin used to be unheard of. And again, pushing back against this industrialization that, you know, this holistic care is only for the big cities, right? No. And and I wanted to make this replicable. And a lot of this false uh, cognitive bias, people think, well, I'm too small. I'm not going to matter. Nobody's going to want to see me, you know, I, or maybe there's too much competition. Maybe the person I'm talking to is in a big city. It doesn't matter when you are authentic and you are serving from your heart that's energy that nobody can purchase, right? People will drive. People will seek that out. And that's what makes you, you. And only you can do that in your own signature way. So I love that you touched on that. And again, so parallel with this holistic push of functional medicine to push against this industrialization and say, even if you're doing small practices in medicine, you're still making a huge impact. This is changing generations. I I bet you have a lot of repeat customers. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So in 2022, so our, our booking capacity for a 12 month period of time is uh, 65 to 70%. We take a couple months off in February and March, just because nobody wants to be on a dairy farm in February and March. In Wisconsin. But you know, 65 to 70% booking capacity throughout the year. And in 2022, more than 60, I would say about 65% of our customers were repeat bookings which is unheard of in the tourism and hospitality industry. What we're working on now, 2023 and beyond, is we've proven that we can rent out our farm stay. We've proven that we can rent out the farmhouse, uh, but we're looking for uh, transient guests as well. Uh, we're offering day-to-day tours you know, for people stopping by, and especially equine interactions, especially horse experiences, whether it's uh, lessons for kids, um, guided trail rides around the 350-acre property, or, um, you know, you know what? Therapeutic interactions with horses as well. Tapping into creativity and flow takes practice. But once you learn the three-step system I use, it is intuitive. In August, from the 14th through the 18th, I'm hosting my second virtual live five-day boot camp to help you learn the favorite techniques I use in the AHA method for flow. I only enroll twice per year for this event, and seating is limited. Each day, we cover the essentials of this, so you will have daily live Zoom webinars, recordings available, a downloadable playbook, you'll have a clear understanding of the neuroscience behind burnout and flow, you'll get a personalized burnout assessment, and identify your core values while you learn a time management neuroscience-based method. You'll get cortisol-busting methods that lower your sympathetic overdrive, and you'll have evidence-based activities that help prime your parasympathetic calm. There's bonus gifts at the end, and the testimonials are heartwarming. Our last episode, people said, it's well worth your lunch hour. This is detailed and action-oriented. This is not your typical burnout conference, and I would highly recommend this to any student, resident, doctor, or nurse. Introductory prices, $69, and seats are limited. Use the coupon code podcast to get 10% off. Head to drlarasalier.com forward slash symposium. I want you to talk more about, is it, now the the name is very intentional. Is it Brumbly? Did I say that right? Yeah, so um, it's Brumby, the Brumby at the Wegmeller Farm. And the story with that is, of course, you've heard of a wild Mustang. 
you've heard of a wild Mustang. It's a wild you know, horse that lives out in the Southwest or Western United States. Well, the Brumby, if you look up the uh, definition of a Brumby, it is simultaneously regarded as something of a nuisance and also something of a national icon. A Brumby is a wild Australian horse similar to the American Mustang. So I can't think of a better way to describe us and what we're doing than simultaneously a nuisance and also something of a national icon. <laughs> that is awesome. It does. It's fitting. And I love how you've brought in, you know, this mental health aspect again, right? You know, you're offering the dairy farm tours, the the Airbnb type, you know, where you can stay and really be immersive in this whole culture and experience. And now you're bringing in this wonderful therapeutic aspect, you know, of, of honoring that, re that respect between animal and human. And I just, uh, horses scare me. So I might have to take a trip out there. So I'm not as nervous because they are majestic. And I, I, I'm one of those that I feel like I'm not worthy to be on your back. I will let you do your thing. Um, so I love that you're incorporating this for I'm, I'm certain kids and adults and tell me what, what made you want to do this as another add-on for your farm? So we, I, I'm not going to say we fell into it. I, I believe, you know, fate is a, maybe a little bit too strong of a word, but I would say we were, we were absolutely led to this direction. My earliest memory on the farm was sitting on the back of a horse that my mom was just walking around the front yard. Uh, we've always had horses in one way or another, just personal family pets. In the last few years of my mom's life, she had a beloved quarter horse that was a retired therapy horse. Her name was Tootsie. Uh, my mom rode that horse all over the farm. In fact, to this day, when I think of my mom, I think of my, I think of her working with her beloved pony. The first few, so when my mom passed away in 2017, uh, we started hosting in 2018. The first few groups that came through, you know, we, I introduced Tootsie. I introduced the horse just as kind of a, you know, just as kind of an additional thing to talk about with our tours. Um, we took a few groups where they had little kids, where we put the kids on the back of the horse and maybe walk them around a little bit, but it was nothing beyond that. Unfortunately, one day early in 2019, Tootsie colicked overnight, uh, which is not an uncommon ailment with horses. There was nothing we could do. We stayed up. I stayed up with her till one o'clock in the morning and she, um, she passed away that night. So Tootsie was buried on the farm and that sort of led to an interest in, you know, wait a minute, we've got 350 acres of land. We have wildlife set-asides. We practice land conservation, of course, crop production. These are all very relevant topics that, um, that we have the opportunity to share with people. And so we started out small. I found a couple rescues, found a little Shetland pony that was abused and neglected at his, at his previous home, uh, found a couple full-sized horses. Now we are up to 21 horses total. Uh, we have a number of smaller miniature horses and ponies for, uh, for kids experiences and kids lessons. Um, we have a number of full-size trail ready horses where we can take adults out. And I would say a few things about horses. So stereotypically in the ag industry, cow people are not horse people and horse people are not cow people. Interesting. They are night and day different animals. Now that we have both on the farm, I totally, totally see why. Totally get it. Uh, my dad was not a horse person at all. He called them hay burners and other derogatory terms. My mom very much was a horse person. So this is kind of a, you know, kind of a, a tribute to her and what, uh, what she started. But the comment that we're getting over and over again is um, not only, you know, a level of authenticity, 
but also, you know, parents are using the term core memories to describe their interaction with the farm and with the animals. We have a lot of people coming out of the cities who have kids who have any one of a number of developmental challenges that, uh, that have some very authentic interactions with animals. Um, a favorite example of that is uh, we had a family, we've had a vet family visit us a couple times now. They are repeat guests and they have an eight-year-old son who um, unfortunately cannot play sports, can't be involved in uh, anything athletic because he has coordination challenges and balance issues. He, he falls down a lot. After a 30-minute riding lesson on Mr. Champ, our Shetland pony, uh, that kid was running barrels. He was running figure eights around barrels, around obstacles. We even took him out on a trail ride. And his, his mom was almost in tears because she said he's never had that interaction with other people or other students or friends or, or colleagues or coworkers or anything like that. It was an animal interaction that really, uh, really generated that. And one more thing I want to add about horses too. Horses, horses are interesting animals and I'll, I would love to get you out, you know, under this context, sort of reintroduce you to this, Dr. Laura, because um, horses have a collective consciousness that goes back to the beginning of time. They mm. communicate with one another the same way that elephants do. People have determined this because uh, we've taken horses that are bonded, meaning within a herd, separated them miles and miles apart. And um, we've run tests where we, um, if, if we stress one of the horses, the other horses respond to that stress. Likewise, if we calm and soothe horses, even if they're separated by miles, no line of sight, no line of communication, if we calm and soothe a horse, the other horses that that horse is bonded with respond to that love and that nurturing. Horses are also traditional symbols of feminine empowerment and feminine thinking. If you look at traditional civilizations that have matriarchs as opposed to patriarchs, uh, they're very strongly rooted in equestrian pursuits. Greek mythology is heavily rooted in, uh, in uh, equine, equine symbols and uh, symbols of um, the way that uh, horses look at the world. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to not only bring to the farm, but especially to share with other people. And we regularly take guests that have never been on the back of a horse or haven't been on the back of a horse in decades um, and we guide four and a half mile trail rides or shorter, uh, talking about, you know, a lot of things that, uh, that I mentioned about the farm land conservation, but all of it is rooted in that sacred connection that we as humans ought to have with the yes. animals that we care for. Oh, that's so beautiful. You're definitely making me reconsider my fear. And it sounds like I need to get on the back of maybe Mr. Champ, maybe oh, somebody I'm a little easy, right? Um, now, Taking a serious turn because this is so beautiful and almost feels fantastical, right? I can I can feel if I channel my 10 you know, years ago myself when I was burning out in medicine, and I'm sure you've had your dark days and farmers across the nation are having dark days, it can feel almost unachievable and fantastical to, to experience this wonderful things that you're talking about. So what would you like to say to anybody, farmer or not, a business for anybody who's in that dark burnout feeling, is there any words of advice that you could just channel to them and impart to them to get through those dark days? Absolutely. So talking about dark days, challenging, challenging times, insurmountable mountains of obstacles. Yeah, I can relate to that. 
we had the idea for our farm stay and for our outreach in early 2017. I would say April of 2017. It wasn't until it wasn't until 2020 that I knew it was going to work. Uh, we started hosting in uh, September of 2018 at a time when we were facing bankruptcy. I mean, we had an unbelievable amount of debt attached to the farm. We were operating below the cost of production. So you want to talk about depression? You want to talk about suicidal thoughts? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I went through that. Um, in 2018, a large part of my daily routine was to get up in the morning, uh, do the bare minimum chores, just the bare, bare minimum stuff that needed to be done. I would sit secluded in a sort of a dark corner of the shop. I would drink. I would smoke. I would hide from guests. If people came up the road that, uh, that I didn't, didn't know who it was or I didn't recognize the vehicle, uh, I would stay hidden. I was afraid it was debt collectors. I was afraid it was people coming. I mean, we went, we went, from, um, we went from April of 2018 to November of 2018 without being able to pay any bills at all, not even operating bills. Um, And so, you know, that was, there was one day in particular in 2018 where nothing was going right. I had machinery breakdowns. I couldn't even do basic day-to-day chores. And I just, I just had enough said, all right, this is it. I just, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. It's not worth it. And so I found a quiet place to sit and I was just thinking in dead silence and my mom's voice came to me very clearly, as clearly as I'm talking to you right now. And she said, don't give up, just keep going. And what it helped me do is rather than focus on the short-term, the short-term obstacles, it helped me focus on the long-term goals. We had started hosting. We had started bringing groups in. Um, the reviews, the experiences, the reception was overwhelmingly positive. And in six seasons, we've never gotten less than a five-star review. And we've hosted all walks, all people from all different backgrounds, vegetarians, vegans. I mean, people that you wouldn't expect to support a dairy farm, but it finds out, you know, you sit down and you have these conversations. We have more in common. We have more in common than we give ourselves credit for. But uh, what I would say to that is, you know, never lose track of the end goals, never lose track of the long-term goals. The short-term stuff was, it seemed insurmountable but it really wasn't. And especially now, you know, here we are five years later, we're in a very different state. Uh, we're in a very different position. We have an exceptional group of people that are backing us up, working on the farm, as well as an exceptional flow of traffic coming through the farm. And, you know, I'll, I'll never get to that dark place again. I'll never be that low again. And so I would say never lose track of the end goal, never lose track of the long-term goals because it's, it's absolutely worth it. The other thing I'd say too is, believe me when I say you're not alone. Um, yes. There are a lot of people going through that. I would say more than you realize. Um, I've shared this story with a few people and it's, it's always the ones that you least expect that put their arm around you and say, I, I know, I've been there, I understand. And so when you realize that you're not alone, um, you know, it, it really makes achieving those long, t- turning those long-term ideas, turning that long-term vision into a reality it makes that obtainable. Yes. Those are wonderful words of advice. And thank you for sharing so candidly and honestly, because we all are in this together and it is very isolating to be in that dark space. Um, No matter what industry I know in medicine, you know, there's a lot of physicians that die by suicide every day and they feel like nobody would understand, but it's one of these unspoken taboos that 
you know, when we look at the literature, burnout is very, very common that leads to this depression and suicidality. And so we need to normalize almost like grief. You know, we're all going to grieve something, many things in our life. That's normal. We've normalized grief. That's a process of human emotion. And we need to do the same for burnout in every industry. Like you shared, you know, looking at other goals. And I love how you, you talked about, you know, yes, the immediate goals or the immediate tasks can feel overwhelming, but when you have something that you're sticking your flag in and you've got values tied to something long-term, focusing on that can help you get through those dark days because they can be really painful. And thank you. Thank you for sharing and all of the the ways that you're helping the industry. And hopefully we can see a better turn, you know, in the burnout stats for farming because what you have going on is amazing. You guys are also in a movie. You want to talk, give a plug for the movie? Love to check out check out Dairyland documentary. It will be available shortly for streaming. Uh, right now, we're releasing it uh, in a kind of a controlled manner for uh, for film festivals outreach. We're absolutely hoping to build off a sequel. We wrapped filming on that a year and a half ago, and I I watched the documentary and I can't believe how much has changed in a short amount of time. Uh, but real briefly, this project started out as an idea. Um, there was a Wisconsin native, but now Colorado-based filmmaker by the name of Taylor Pipes, who also did Cheese Wars, about the Wisconsin versus uh, California cheese industries. And uh, Taylor Pipes reached out at the height of the ag crisis when Wisconsin was leading the way, and in a sense still is, but when Wisconsin was leading the way in farm bankruptcies and farmers exiting the industry. And he just through a total like small world coincidence, we both knew the same person basically. And um, Taylor was looking for a farm to feature as, you know, why are, why are all these farms going out of business? Why are all these farms quitting? And for lack of a better way to say it, it was kind of going to be, you know, another, another sob story or another sad story. And instead, we sort of pivoted and took the stance of, well, instead of talking about more farms going out of business, why don't we talk about what farms can do? to diversify, to reinvent themselves, and then to be featured as success stories. And so the documentary, Dairyland, Dairyland documentary is our story set against the backdrop of the ag industry at large. And like I said, I mean, we're, we're, hoping, we're hoping to either build off of a sequel or a series or just use that as a stepping stone for uh, much larger issues because what we've learned, what we've learned on our farm in the last five to 10 years can absolutely be, and I would say deserves to be applied on a much larger scale. You know, bigger is not always better. Expanding is not always the option, uh, not always the best option. Taking on more is not, you know, that's not always the right choice. And so rather than focus on overextension, burnout, and everything else that goes with it, talk about getting back to roots, reestablishing what our true relationship is, not only with land, environment, animals, and consumers, but also ourselves. Beautiful. Absolutely. And yes, this is a template that I'm sure is still unedited. You know, you're learning, you're growing, you're, you've got things that can be applied in so many unique ways to 
you know, diversify the ag industry, the medical industry, all these things that you're pivoting and learning. We are so grateful for you. And I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've watched all the awards. I mean, it is multiple awards you're winning. And so I couldn't be happier. And and you are the most deserving family and the hardest working that I know going and really going against the grain. And I think I have a special part in my heart for sure, um, because you, you've just been amazing to turn the ag industry on its head and, and prove them wrong. That you know, you you can make this something that is back to the roots of this sacred connection with animals and humans that we all deserve. And that is so amazing. So thank you, Dan, for coming on the Catalyst Podcast. You are truly a catalyst yourself in everything you say and do. Thank you, Dr. Lauren. I really appreciate that. And I guess before um before we sign off, if you don't mind, I might throw one thing, one last thing in here about talking about re- reestablishing our relationships. The joke, the joke that I tell to every single tour group that comes through is, you know, here we are. Welcome to Wisconsin. Welcome to America's Dairyland. Welcome to, you know, it says so on our, our license plate. So it must be true, but it is literally easier for you to get raw fish sushi in the state of Wisconsin than it is to go to a dairy farm and get milk. And that right there, once you understand that, that is all you need to know about what is wrong with the U.S. dairy. Yes. Yes. So much. Yes. So much oversight. And thank you for, yeah, we, we definitely will have you back again. You've done so much and I can't wait to keep watching your story and all the things that are evolving. So where can people learn about you website connections? What's your, where can people find you? Look us up. One of the advantages of having a goofy last name like Wegmeller is all you have to do is do a simple Google search. And, um, I've verified this a few times. We're like the top 10 to 12 hits. Uh, even above European PhDs. So yeah, if you do a simple Google search of our last name, uh, wegmillerfarm.com is the farm website. Uh, we'll be launching very shortly with uh, direct booking options for not only the farm stay, overnight stays, but also transient experiences as well. Farm tours, hands-on walkthrough experiences, and all the equine all the equine, equestrian, horse experiences that we uh, sort of alluded to. So wegmillerfarm.com, but also, I mean, check us out on Facebook, Wegmiller Farm, Instagram, the same thing, Wegmiller Dairy Farm. I mean, benefit of having a goofy last name is as long as you start typing that in, it's, uh, it'll lead it'll lead you down the yellow brick road. (laughs) Yes, it will. Oh my gosh. Thank you again, Dan. You're amazingly inspirational. And for those listening, please check out wegmullerfarm.com and everything will be in the show notes to contact Dan and you won't be disappointed. He is truly inspirational and coloring outside the lines. Until next time, have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Catalyst Podcast. I want to play. Let's play rock, paper, scissors. You will get your free restoration plan when you take a simple 10-question quiz. We will analyze your burnout and your weaknesses, and you'll be matched to one of three personas. Either you're a rock, stable in your values, but maybe difficult to motivate into action. Maybe you're paper. You follow what the path should be on paper, but you have difficulty making decisions with what matters to you. Or maybe you're scissors happy being busy, clip, clip, clipping along, smashing those goals, but you're suffering from depleted energy. Each of these personas will have tendencies toward burnout and you can start restoring with action. After taking the 10 question quiz, you will get a personalized restoration plan delivered to your inbox. So head to drlarasalier.com forward slash catalyst and let's play.